time to welcome back, boys and girls, for another special edition of the Michael Deacon Program. Joining me now is Mr. Marshall Masters. Hey, good to be back. Oh, yes, I'm glad you are here, and so many people were so excited for your return yet again, Marshall. Everyone is always wanting to know your opinion on everything under the sun, as usual, Marshall. I like that under the sun angle, because that takes us up to 40,000 feet. That's right. And, uh... I like that thin air, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Right. And uh, Marshall, so much has happened in such a short time. And as usual, I have all kinds of questions to ask you, but we will wait just a little bit before we get going here. And there's a series of articles, especially the Anunnaki invasion and Ground Zero. Yeah. I've been following along. I've been watching uh, the videos, of course, and I wanted to ask you about the winner of Ash Prophecy and also so many other things. But Marshall, take it away. All right. Well, the one thing is we're we're facing different things coming at us. And, and what I wanted to do for folks, because I think when I talk with people, what they're struggling with on the right. For those of us who are patriots, have been so for a while, uh, and it's trying to grasp what's the meaning of all this and what is victory. You know, we really we don't have victory very clearly defined, neither by the black hats nor the white hats. Beyond with the black hats, die, y'all die. You just die. That's it. You know, and if you don't die, you're gonna kiss our feet and do whatever we want like little drones okay so we got that part of it on the white side it's make america great this and that and we've got all these good things and life's gonna come back um but then we have the moving goal posts that just keep moving like they're on anti-gravity pods you know the closer we come to them the further they move away then it's really interesting you know you hear the chatter uh, Biden was executed in Gitmo oh, yes. in 21 and in 22 and in 23. It's like these clones have nine lives. Who knew? Right. Uh, <laughs> They're cat people. Insanity is, is like, okay, where are we going? And the messaging is really uh, the messaging on the white hats is pretty simple. It is to keep us, their goal is to keep us from a kinetic civil war. And there's an important reason for this. Our military is just as divided as everyone everywhere else in the government and in the country. And you're talking in the ranks, say, from captain on down, pretty solid patriots for the most part. But it's up the guys with the spaghetti on the caps uh and all the bars and stars and whatever you know it depends on where they're feathering their nest we have political you know uh, tv generals and a lot of them and so and then we have the real deal so there's the white hat military and then there's our black hat military and we are coming into a situation where the constitution will be set aside under martial law and how that happens is going to determine who controls at that point. If we have a kinetic civil war, the black hat side of the military, because it, it's an internal situation, 
will then have the authority to step up, declare martial law, law. And at that point, we're cooked. We're toast. It's done. It's over. Stick a fork in us. On the other hand, if the threat is external, then that goes to the white hat side, specifically Cheyenne Mountain, at which point uh, the patriotic side of our military is the one that can declare martial law, step in, and then, man, it's a whole new game and it's a good one. And it's where we want to go. So we, <clears throat> we're going through a very difficult time. And as enemy, your enemy will always do, your enemy will tell you where you are weak and where they are strong. And we have to, we're, we're sitting here and it's hard to really grasp what exactly is at stake. Because if we do, the White Hats know if they tell people really what the real war is all about, the real battle is all about. They may not want to do it. They may want to give up because they just go, it's too hard. So let's be honest about that, because if we're honest about that, we can be hopeful and we can see where victory is ours to throw away. It literally is. Because our victory was given to us many thousands of years ago by God, and now it is coming to fulfillment. And I'm going to unpack that now for you. And what I want to do is start with a story about something I did in my research. I may have done it on your show before. It's uh, about Serapis Bay, which was in about 2008. Uh, in 2005 is when I finally came to understand the real significance of what we are going through today. The, the, the agenda, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, so forth. And when all of that came to me, it was horribly depressing. It was horribly depressing. I mean, once I saw the magnitude of it, what tore my heart was I could see that these monsters, these psychopaths, were having their way. And the people were indifferent. They were too busy, you know, going on Amazon shopping, let's do the mall, whatever. You know, people just live in lives. And I saw humanity being railroaded into extinction. Very depressing time. It was, uh, I'll be honest, you know, there were times I just said, if a bus hits me, maybe that's not so bad. Oh, wow. You know, it's when you take Peggy Lee singing, is that all there is? And you put it on infinite loop, you're definitely depressed, buddy. I think that's you a sign. Depressed. Right. <laughs> Is that all there is? Is that all there is? And uh, and you so, hit that level one at at some point, Marshall yourself. Oh, absolutely. Two thousand five. That was it. It uh. was total depression, and I struggled with it uh, for about a year on my own. Two years. Um, it was hard. Nobody was interested. It was finding people interested in talking about it. It was painfully difficult. And so it was in around 2007, at, uh, after we finished publishing uh, a book that I did and that was popular at the time, I started on my next project, which was to work with psychics and to do channeling with ETs, incarnated and un unincarnated entities. And uh, when I put out the, the word to the universe, it's the power of synchronicity. 
and it is magnificent. All of a sudden, they just started showing up. I didn't know. They, they found me. I'd get an email right. and said, I'm a psychic. I'd like to help you. They're like, who knew? And Oh, you don't often talk about this. Oh, good. Well, this is the time. Which is awesome. And yeah, go ahead. I was, uh, we, I was, it was three of us. Uh, we were all in Mensa and we did the research together. One was, uh, did the science questions and he was a Dutch physicist, Jaco van der Warp. Janice Manning, who's the editor of the Colbrin, uh, was also, her job was to give me cross-reference questions. You know, like lawyers, you come up, you, you question, sure. and you get cross-reference and like that. And so I was, she gave me cross-reference. And that's, we use those with the guides <laughs> to verify that we were getting the same answers. You know, we'd ask the same question in two different ways to see if we got similar results. Always did. Uh, they, we were, we held these on Skype, but with the psychics, I always called their phones. I didn't call them on Skype because I didn't want them to, uh, my, I was the only person that, that was talking to the psychic. I was conducting the interview and my other partners were just with me in the chat. And, uh, this is how we worked. It worked very well with unincarnated spirits. Uh, those that had never been in human form, very strategic, high level, and uh, the incarnated were more tactical, in the bunker kind of approach to things and how to handle it. With those, it was very easy to verify them. We'd always end. The last question was, give us a major weather event six to 12 months out that we can verify you with. They did. And they always happened, always, always, exactly like the guides told us, which was amazing. And then the third were the ETs. And interesting, we couldn't vet them that way, but the ETs always had the same message. And they were always saying, you guys are at your evolutionary breakout as a species. And if you go the low road, you take the easy path, you are going to be slaves for countless generations to come. And if you take the high path, you will be free and it will be magnificent. And they were always talking to us because these are the ones that had taken as a, as a race, had taken the low path and had suffered for generations upon generations upon generations. And they just wanted to tell other races, don't do the mistake that we did. and. This was a very fascinating thing for me. And my psychics were extremely talented. One was brilliant. Uh, she was in her early 40s, had family, husband, incredibly gifted psychic. And her husband just adored her and treasured her gift and supported her. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. And we had concluded our study in 2008 because we kept coming up against the, the biters, the black-eyed children. We, at the time, we called them biters, and they kept coming up, and it was pretty ugly. And when once our psychics saw that in the future, it started really affecting them, and so we couldn't get past the, the biters, uh, hmm. black-eyed uh, kids. What do you mean they kept uh, coming up, Marshall? They would... Uh, with the psychics, I was taking them and saying, okay, project forward into the future and tell me what you're seeing. 
and they would describe circumstances. The first one was, for example, she said this was in the east. She could tell by the architecture there was ash everywhere, like there had been a volcanic eruption or a fire. It was about a half inch uh, to an inch of ash everywhere. Uh, this was in uh, early evening, sunset time, and there was a man who was uh, in his probably 40s or 50s, thin, uh, dressed with two layers of clothing to keep the soot out of his skin. And he was foraging. He was out trying to find stuff. And this was important. So the... This fellow is walking down the street, and she sees him, actually, from her point of view. He's walking towards her. Then to her left, she said she saw a young man in his early 20s, and very physical, very strong, and was walking uh, away from her in the opposite direction. And then she saw the young man turn and start walking across this street towards this older man. And that was when she noticed that her... His eyes were black, black. as doll's eyes. Ooh. They were like shark's eyes. That's how she described them, yes. shark's eyes. And it was lifeless, uh, no personality, nothing, just kind of like a drone. And the young man walked up to the old man who was trying to pretend to avoid him, not to provoke anything. And as the young man started passing him, he jumped on him and bit into his bicep and ripped out a chunk of flesh. It was very traumatic for the older man who immediately went into shock and collapsed. And then, to her surprise, this younger man who attacked him didn't do anything more, didn't uh, eat him, didn't just walked away like it was done and off. And there that fellow was laying there. Our psychics would see these kind of things, and after that, it rattled them so much, I had to release them. <clears throat> so we couldn't get much further than that in our studies. We kept coming up to the zombies, and that was tough. But again, uh, the future is always in motion. And you by the way, uh, with these, these, psych these channelers you speak of, what did they take away from that? And what did you take away from that, Marshall? I must know. For the women, yeah. it was devastating because they tended to be mothers and, or grandmothers. And so for them, they are seeing their offspring that could very well, this what they were seeing with this young man, the biter, we used to call them the biters. What that young man would probably be about the same age as one of her offspring or one of her grandchildren. So for them, it was devastating. For me, I was conducting research, and I always go by the rule, do no harm. And I saw how this was just so brutal for these women. So the minute they started seeing the biters, I would immediately stop the study with them and just say, you've done your bit for queen and country. Thank you so much. But I'm releasing you right now because you don't want to go any further and I don't want to take you there. It's not going to be pleasant. And all of the women that I did that with all said, they're, no, they were ready to continue on. But I knew where it would go and it would yeah. be really disturbing for them. 
Well, you knew where to draw so, the line, in other words. And yeah, that sounds pretty right. traumatic. It was. And, you know, after losing, I think, the fourth or fifth psychic to that, we just decided that's it. You know, the studies are wrap unless we're going to go in another major direction. And we didn't really have an idea for that. But the thing about it was this one psychic, this 40-something, she was my favorite. And in 2008, I called her up one day and I said, I need to talk with you. Maybe you can help me with this. Since 2005, I've known about this Agenda 21 and all of the other stuff that's coming. Right. And it's just tearing my guts out because they're winning. They're winning, they're winning, they're winning, hands down. And she said, whoa, that would be upsetting. Well, let me do a clearing and see who comes in. And so she cleared, at which point the guide that came in was Serapis Bay. Serapis Bay was a temple priest in Atlantis and also in Egypt. You can find information about Serapis Bay actually on the Internet. And she said, your question is what Serapis Bay answers. It's his thing, all right? It's his thing. And so you need to, we're going to need to talk with him about this, and I think you'll you'll do just fine. So got on with Serapis Bay, and I explained a little bit. And here's what Serapis Bay told me through the channel. And I, the words just imprinted on me indelibly. Mm. I remember yes. that. He said, Interesting. The story of humankind, the story of humanity, is a vast book of many, many, many chapters, most of which have yet to be written. But let us talk about this chapter. In this chapter of the book, the elites own it. It is theirs. There's nothing you can do to take it from them. Nothing. So do not waste the effort. However, this chapter, like all chapters, like all books, eventually comes to an end. And this chapter is but a few pages from the end. And the elites know that the next chapter is not theirs. It's yours. And that the only way they can convey their control into the next chapter of humanity is with deception. That's it. That's the only way they can do it. They have to bluff you. And if you call the bluff, you refuse to be deceived and you reach for your freedom, it will be yours. Refusing to be deceived, that was the easy one for me. But over the years, it was reaching for your freedom and it shall be yours. And that was always difficult for me. How do I, you know, at one level you can define it as, yeah, if, you know, try, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, keep going and all of that. It wasn't until recently that I started seeing the strategic aspect of what Serapis Bay was saying by you have to reach. And in a situation where you are reaching for your freedom, it's good to have the best generals. It's good to have the best weapons. It's good to have all of this other stuff. But in the final analysis, what is going to make the day is that you go the distance. 
If you're reaching for your freedom, you don't stop reaching for your freedom. And if you're reaching for your freedom, it will be yours and there will be things that go along the way. So let's take and put this into perspective of the question that I'm seeing the White Hats do a pretty sloppy job of on their messaging. Namely, what is global victory? Because this is a global spiritual war, period. So with that, let's go to the question, what is victory? Namely, what is your vision of victory? Because that's where we're troubled. So let's look in the past, starting with President George Washington, General George Washington in times of the war, 1775 to 1783. And this was a brutal eight-year war. And George Washington <clears throat> had a few notable wins, but largely as a military leader, he wasn't your sharpest tactician, but he was a strategic thinker. And what George Washington's victory of vision was simple. This is what kept him going for eight years and defeated the British eventually. Washington's victory vision was, <clears throat> it was not about winning the war. The British had more professional troops. Their officer corps was, you know, very impressive as compared with ours. They had a clear advantage, which we neutralized in some part, thanks to patriots who grab a squirrel gun, go up at a tree and kill a lieutenant <laughs> leading the troops. Knocked out. We knocked out a lot of their officer corps, which they thought was not cricket, but war is war. However, his strategy was, it was not about winning the war. It was about not losing and going the distance. So that was Washington's strategy. Don't lose and go the distance. Now, let's take that and move forward. Let's go to, <clears throat> I think, and currently, right now, very current, was this interview Trump had on CNN back in May 11th with Caitlin Collins. Ooh, what a cold. Ooh, ooh, she was nasty. But anyway, uh, this was their big CNN Republican presidential town hall, and which they had uh, subsequently hair pulling and chest beating over being humiliated. Those were fun. It was wonderful. And, <laughs> yes. You know, Caitlin Collins asked, Trump, if he wanted to win the Ukraine war. And Trump's answer absolutely flipped the whole thing on her. And it was brilliant. And he just said, I don't think in terms of winning and losing, I just want to end the dying. And the audience loved it. Oh, and yes. Collins was humiliated and knocked. And so he came at this from a completely different way. And he has a really good, for me, that's a, that's a victory vision. People stop dying. Simple, easy to go with. But let's go back to other times when it wasn't so simple. Let's talk about World War I. World War I had an interesting victory vision by how it was defined. It was defined as the war to end all wars. And what was the result of that victory vision? Is that World War I simply set the stage for World War II. 
So in World War One, the big what's the score in the victory? Vision was the war was won, but the victory was lost. Now let's go to World War Two. And with the victory vision, I'm just sing a little bit of a song that was popular at the time. And and okay, you know, I will stipulate I intend to keep my day job, but here it is. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition and we'll all stay free. All right. That victory of vision is we all stay free. And that's what we got. We got that freedom, but look what happened. It only lasted a few decades. All right. Now, we've been talking in terms of political leaders and wars, but what about on a personal level, on a human level, all right? Well, for that, I want to use the film Rocky from 1976, where Stallone played Rocky Balboa. And here, let's go to the victory vision for Rocky. And what was that? His victory vision was to go the distance against Apollo Creed which is something no other fighter had ever done. And so what happened? Rocky lost the fight by a decision, but because he went the distance, he won the hearts of the people. So that brings us to what is our victory vision? What did World War I teach us? As blood begets blood, war begets war. It is not a path to war is not the path to peace. What did World War II teach us? If we only fight for our freedom, it puts us into an alternating generational cycle of slavery and freedom. Today, 45 million people in the world are slaves. And the country that fought for world freedom in World War II is now the largest purveyor of slavery in the world. And there's worse. So what did Rocky Balboa teach us? You have to go the distance. What are we faced with? We need a victory vision that will put us so far beyond the scourge of global slavery that it can never happen again. To do this, we need to break the cycle, which means the time has come for an extraordinary vision of victory. Only this way. Can our species free itself of psychopath rule? So this is not political. It's not military, really. Yes, those are factors. But this is spiritual because this is the spiritual evolution of our species or its complete enslavement. So if we want to do this, if we're going to reach for our freedom, we're going to fight the fight. No matter how long, no matter how hard, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you. The way I look at it, we're in a 100-year war. Anything we can do to shorten, shorten that, <clears throat> boy, yeah, let's do it. But it's a 100-year war in my mind. And why is that? <clears throat> because this extraordinary vision of victory is we evolve from our lives being driven by acquisition to lives that are driven by harmony, harmony within ourselves and all that is about us. Now, is this something Marshall's cooked up for an interview? 
Oh, I'd like to say yes, but the truth is this is an old idea that happened to be cooked up a few thousand years ago in Jerusalem by some crazy Jewish conspiracy theorist, but it's a popular theme and enduring. So for us, it's the excellent roadmap to the ultimate victory. That raises a question. How do we achieve the ultimate victory? Well, for that, let's think in terms of time. Because time, what am I saying? This ultimate victory is 100 years away. Shorter if we do smart things, but 100 years away. And let's think of time flowing like a great river. We are within it. And great rivers are like women. They have their turbulent parts and their gentle parts. Oh. And of course, they can change their minds at the most inconvenient times. But God loves them and they make the world work. And that can be a lot of fun, especially if you're a whitewater enthusiast. Now, let's talk about going down the river because that's what we're all doing. And a lot of people like to tube a river. Boy, on a hot summer day, you got a tube with a you know, cold brewski sitting in it and you're towing your chest. The ride is slow, predictable and pleasant. You're taking in the scenery. Drinking beer, peeing in the river, and having a very good time. However, there's only one problem with tubes. They're rudderless. And on gentle water, that's fine. But on white water, that starts to become a concern. Now, also on the river are canoers. And if you're alone in a canoe, you can navigate the river much better than in a tube. And if you have a partner in the bow of the canoe spotting the river ahead for you for troubled waters and still waters, two paddles is a lot better than one for navigation. And in white water, we talk about swimmers and canoers. And there are six levels on a river. A level one white water is safe and easy for tubers, or what you could think of as swimmers. Level two is a novice level. There's a slight risk for tubers, but you can very handily self-rescue yourself in a nasty situation. Level three, self-rescue is still possible for tubers, but not quite as easy. And it's more concerning. It's better if you have help. If you get to a river that is up to a level four white water, now there's a high risk of injury or death for tubers. Self-rescue is still possible, but really only with the help of others. They got to throw you a rope. Once you get to level five, this is an extremely leveled risk. And here, self-rescue, with or without assistance, is nearly impossible. It's almost a case of luck and location. However, you get to the highest level, level six, it's deadly risk. At the least, you'll have extreme injury, but death is actually more certain. And they're just going to wait to see if your body floats downstream so they can get you. That is what we're going through. And if you think of it, we have a population and most of our population are tubers. And at this point, we're in level three. Self-rescue is still possible. I talk about that in my video series, The Jab with Marshall Masters. And that's what I'm trying to do is to talk to people in level three, where self-rescue is still possible. We are going to start going into levels four, five, and six. 
as this year progresses, especially going into 24. Uh, definitely by 26, I see us being at level six deadly risk at that point. Those who are going to die from the vaccine are dead. And with that, let's do the numbers. That's what, when we start talking about people dying, that's what we want to talk about is numbers usually. And I think it's intelligent. So let's do the numbers. And I want to start with a percentage that's largely agreed to by most people in alternative media that one third of all Americans believe in just one conspiracy or more. And these Americans who believe in conspiracy also happen to be vaccine deniers. They refuse the vaccine. Now, the question I have is, is this globally consistent? The answer to that, interestingly, is going to be, in many ways, yes. So now let's do the math together, all right? And I want to start with, what is the current global population? I believe it's 8.1 billion, but let's just keep the numbers simple. 8 billion. How many people are vaccinated? All right. 5.55 billion, according to the New York Times and other mainstream media. So let's just take that number as a given. Out of that, how many people are going to die by the time we reach level six in 2026? All right. Well, why is it the vaccine never had a safety test? It's because for two decades, the vaccines have been in the laboratory and they could never get into humans because the lab animals always were dying. That's true. And what the scientists found that in some cases, half of the animals would die, never less than that. It was always half. And in many cases, 100% of the animals would die. So if we take 5.55 billion vaccinated out of that, if we do the 50% ratio, that's 2.7 billion. Of course, if it's 100%, it's 5.55. But I think a good one for this number is that 75% of those vaccinated will be dead by 26. And the reason why I say that is that 25% will be folks that had placebo vaccines, heat-damaged vaccines, or have inexplicable resistance to the vaccines, uh -huh. all right? And that is the 25% that survives. So what I'm going to say for this is that we have 8 billion global population, 5.55 billion are vaccinated, and of the vaccinated... 75% will die, which is going to be 3.33 billion people are going to die from the vaccines. Now, that uh, we go through these numbers, and what do we have? 4.6 billion remaining from the vaccines. But let's look at what's happening around the rest of the world. <clears throat> For example, Ukraine and the Netherlands are the are two huge breadbaskets for Europe, absolutely essential to Europeans. And both of these nations are absolutely destroyed. I mean, in Ukraine, golly gee, how are they going to get that stuff, especially if this war gets any worse? So there's already impacts on that. 
but also look at the Netherlands. Uh, the government has failed because the farmers had to literally fight to save their farms. In the United States, we're not able to ship the fertilizer that's necessary for farmers, so they're not getting enough. So everywhere in the strategic global food supply system, there are intentional acts to destroy everything. Plus, there is a push for war everywhere. And war and famine become part of a self-perpetuating cycle because wars bring famines and famines in turn perpetuate more wars. So what I'm going to say is that out of the 4.67 billion remaining, 25% of those are going to fall to war and famine, so we lose another 1.17 billion. Now, like they say on television, but wait, there is more. Oh my. Along comes the Planet X flyby, and I'm sure you're following. I mean, the, the Planet X observation videos out there are popping up like the measles. They're all over. It's really getting, they're all over, and it's going to be much more in 24. It's going to be a fixture in the sky. But <clears throat> let's continue this. By the way, just and... to just to add more statistics and numbers into the discussion here, I just looked it up and it's 270,227,181 to be precise, Marshall, that have received at least one dose. So in other words, 81% of the population. Well, that's what they're saying. You know, the numbers are difficult, but <clears throat> uh, what I want to... And the thing is that when we are looking at those numbers, remember that of the of the 3.33 that's left, we are going to have critical and spiritual thinkers. Right. Uh, and I want to get to those in a second, but I just want to wrap up this number yes, set sir. because then post once we are after Planet X, and I believe Planet X. Uh, of after we have a population that has dealt with the vaccine deaths, war, and famine, then are going to come the Planet X flyby deaths, which will be a third of those remaining, which would be another 1.15 billion. After Planet X leaves, the remaining population that has survived all causes is 2 billion. In other words, there will be a 75% loss of life for humanity. And yes. when we are looking at the ones that are going to survive this, now again, the conspiracy theory people, who are the conspiracy theory people? Well, the conspiracy people are going to one of two profiles. They're either critical thinkers or they're spiritual thinkers. Critical thinkers are despised by the elites because they are very clear-sighted and they know when the emperor has no clothes. Outside can, of the box, yeah. That they can they can sit there and work the numbers. They can work through it and deal with it. There is a process that process is deductive. They find this through the process of induction or deduction, excuse me. Now on the other hand, spiritual thinkers <clears throat> And you're going to have, for every two critical thinkers, you're going to have one spiritual thinker. 
The spiritual thinkers are more inductive. They have a very personal relationship with creator. God is in their life every day. And they know bad when they see bad. And they do it. Now, when I say spiritual, I'm not talking about religious. A lot of people who are religious, they're religious for how long? 90 minutes on Sunday? And then after that, who's God? God is like the spare tire in the trunk. You think about God when you need God. All right? So religion has nothing to do with it. doesn't matter what faith you come from. If you have a relationship with God, and it's every day, and it guides your life, all right, you are a spiritual thinker. And again, for every two critical thinkers, there's one spiritual thinker. And they can even overlap. When we look at the number of people, they're saying like 5.55 billion. What they're really talking about is about 23% of the population and we are what is that is remaining in other words 23 percent when we go through all of this are going to be these critical and spiritual thinkers you look at it but again i'm you know let's go back to america and in the final analysis it's the people who believe in one or more conspiracy theories that are going to be the likely survivors of this And the rest aren't. Now, this is going to have dramatic impacts. This is the reason why winning is not important. Not losing is. Because when the Nazis came to power, they're communists, Soviets, all right? That's the Nazi party. It's a Soviet, it's a socialist party. And what's the difference between them and the Russian socialists and the Chinese socialists and all that? They hate the intelligentsia who happen to be your conspiracy theory guys, all right? And what do the socialists always do? The very first people they go at to destroy are the critical and spiritual thinkers because they're going to challenge their authority. And then, and they're going to do this with the help of what Stalin called useful idiots. Now, these are the people... With communism, communism is the poetry of the collective, of being part of something bigger, and this is appealing naturally to people, and they fall in love with the poetry, and they fall in love with the poets, and they follow the poets and give them power, and then the monsters, the psychopaths, come in, kill everybody, and take over, and that's how it operates. So the first thing that the psychopaths want to do is, of course, get rid of the intelligentsia. Folks like you and me, isn't it nice to have a, you know, <laughs> a, a target on your forehead? Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's then nice. what they do after that, and it's in every, uh, and again and again, and nobody seems to catch it, is the useful idiots that helped them to crucify the critical and spiritual thinkers, the intelligentsia are the next ones to go to the gulags and die. Because the problem with the faithful is that they're going to be comparing the results of the leadership with what they bought into, which will never work out. There'll be dissonance. And so they have to be gotten rid of as well. And this is how it goes. But the Nazis understood that 20% of your population are going to be this critical thinkers. In our case, we have a lot of spiritual thinkers as well. What is happening with all of this, with all of the numbers? 
We start off with $8 billion, and as you see, I'm whittling it down to $2 billion. Out of that $2 billion, the vast majority of people who are going to survive this are going to be spiritual and critical thinkers. That is going to change everything. What that's going to do is it means the stupids no longer rule the world. Well, so that's, that's good news, at least. We, all we have to do, once that happens, once the thinkers, not the tubers, okay, I call them tubers, call them other names too, but the ones that fell for this stuff and went were easy to go. I mean, look at what they did in America. Who did they go after with the intelligentsia and the middle class? Well, the lockdowns put a bunch of all kinds of middle class business out of business. They went after the middle class and destroyed a lot of people. Right. Wonderful restaurants that had been around for 50 to 100 years disappeared. Yeah, they destroyed people psychologically, too. Absolutely. It was a terrible thing that they did. Wild psyop, Marshall. It was a huge psyop, and they did this. But we are going to get to a point where, and they could do it because the people who buy the poetry of communism, made enable and they they took these people who bought the the poetry of communism and they drove them at them at the intelligentsia and so we were mocked ridiculed humiliated jobs were lost fortunes were lost it was all kinds of punishment because you are not like us and we are the smart ones we took the vaccine and you are everything we hate and despise in a human being because you're not like us. And that, if if Hillary Clinton had been elected and had been able to prolong the lockdowns, that strategy would eventually ground down enough of the intelligentsia to make us statistically insignificant. Oh, you know, I don't even want to imagine I, that. I, I, Marshall, I haven't huh? even thought about that, by the way, if... Hillary were in charge and we had these lockdowns, how long those lockdowns would have lasted is up oh, in the air to, oh my God, who knows? Now, if you, <laughs> you, know, you go watch my series, The Jab with Marshall Masters. I lay all of this out and I would encourage everybody come to YOWUSA.com and watch it. And I will tell you, my video is very heavily suppressed. I put it up uh, on the same day, it's six videos, and I put them up on Rumble and Odyssey. <clears throat> if YouTube is a bowling ball, Rumble is a softball relative inside, and Odyssey is a grape. Okay? On YouTube, I have a channel with 19 million views to date. And if you type Marshall Masters Planet X in the YouTube search engine, you will see nothing. You'll see a uh... shadow band. You'll see a rapper. Huh? You'll see a, a rapper, by the way. Yeah, you see a rapper. And then also they're pushing the Planet Nine story. Right. So, so you'll see that. They're going that way. But mm. yeah, how do I go from 19 million views to zero? It's when they disappear you and shadow ban you. But that it's lovely not algorithm. Much better. What I found about Rumble is I think Rumble's a honeypot. <laughs> it's not. Um, to be honest, it's it's a way to attract all the people that got taught, kicked out of 
YouTube so they can continue to track and harass them on, on Rumble. Rumble right. I did with this series, here's the interesting statistics. On, I barely, when I put it up on Rumble, you know, started immediately getting the views. And then I monetized the videos. And on Rumble, once you monetize, you can't unmonetize. And the moment I monetized those videos on Rumble, it stopped. All traffic died immediately. So I know Rumble's not a hope for me. It's, you know, this is, it's just a place for, um, you know, for them to track the refugees, uh, the YouTube refugees. And it's useful for, you know, finding things, information. And, but for me, Rumble's just, I don't have a home there. And I know that. Odyssey, on the other hand, I mean, Odyssey is, 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 Compared to Rumble is a little tiny thing. And I had four times more traffic on Odyssey because there I have a level playing field. So with Odyssey, about a thousand views cumulatively and on Rumble, 200, 1200 views. Now, that is the power of the CIA to suppress your message. That's the algorithm for you. That's the algorithm. But and to demonstrate the difference is that. What I did is I've been getting everybody come to Yowza. I'm streaming my stuff on Yowza, embedded video from Odyssey. I really like the Odyssey performance. And while on Odyssey and Rumble collectively, I only have 1,200 views. I have five times that many on my own site. And they're stealth views because they're not counted in the search engine results for Odyssey that's just the way it works when you do embedded videos. So this is the nature of the suppression and what we're facing. And it's sad for me because I remember when I started on YouTube many years ago, I, anytime I put a video on, I mean, I'd have thousands of views immediately. And boom, because I was given fair promotion right. on a level playing field. Yes, the wild, wild west days of YouTuber long gone. Oh, boy. There's a new those. sheriff in town, and he's a mean uh, drunk. Right. Uh, but the so the point here is that I want everyone to think about this. Do not be fooled by search in, by the websites, these platforms with the view numbers that you see videos that have very low numbers and you think no one's interested. A lot of times the numbers are suppressed. YouTube does that. I remember a time when people would put up a Planet X observation video and bang, they would get a few thousand views the first day. Uh, now they put them up and they're lucky to get a few thousand views in a year and a half or two. That's right. So there's all of this suppression, but people are still getting it. And in, in these embedded videos are bypassing that scheme. So when you're going to somebody's website, and you're seeing the video on their site through an embedded player, that is stealth content. And just think as a rule, there's five times more traffic going to those embeds than there are on the platforms themselves because the CIA is suppressing us. But we do what we can and we keep soldiering on. And I think for us, what we have to do going forward is that we really need to have 
a clear definition of victory that we can really rally around. And that's what I see as missing. And I understand why, because if the white hats were honest and they would say, look, this is we have to free the whole world so that our species can evolve beyond the reach of these psychopaths. And this is going to be a hundred year war if we can't find some way to shorten it. That message would be self-defeating. People would just fold up like a cheap tent and go, all is lost, and there you go. And Marshall, At least that's probably what they think. And Marshall, I hate to interrupt you, but for those who don't know exactly who these white hats are you are referring to, can you enlighten those folks out there at home? Well, the white hats, you've heard of Q, you've heard of the Anons. There is no such thing as QAnon. But the white hats are, as we are, as the reporting seems to be consistent, it involves about 22 nations, the militaries of these nations. And there, it is a military coup against the global ruling elites to take them out of power. And this is a very big battle that is going on. It's not hypothetical. It is not theoretical. People are dying and children are being rescued. And it is huge. And I know this is real. I know this quiet, silent war is very big and very bloody and very real. Because if you go to my sign series on Yauza, what we did was we flushed it out, out for like, oh, 15, 16 months. I've been just beating the USGS about the fact that they've been capping the data. Another, what they did was no month could be more than 10,000, period. Well, that's not natural. That's not natural variability. So we could see with Yaozen doing our signs articles, month after month after month, they're capping, 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 capping. And we're reporting the capping. And we kept reporting the capping. And it was annoying as hell for us to see it because our science series is based on earthquakes and fireballs. The fireballs, we're getting the good information. But on the earthquakes, boom, all of a sudden we have this data capping. And then a few months ago, I had an idea. All right, let's change the tune. Play the same song, but in a different key. And I changed the graphics a little bit, but then here's what I said. I believe the data capping goes back to something we were seeing in 2018. And in 2018, we were seeing this consistent pattern of 3.1, 3.2, 3.3 earthquakes, followed by swarms of earthquakes at ones and twos, because we monitor everything, everything from a bump in the night all the way up to a continent buster. And we're looking at this and we started noticing, and I noticed noted this in my article, we started noticing something in the seismograph signatures that was quite unusual. Now, when you have a natural earthquake, the re energy begins releasing and then comes the break. And so what you see is like a little growing nipple. And then it goes to the big scratch. You know, the needle flies up and down like crazy when the earthquake happens. But there's that little nipple of build, building energy release. What we found with all of these three, one, three, two, three, threes, always in the same range, 
was that there was no nipple. There was no energy release build, which is natural. There's only one thing that creates a seismograph image like that, a signature like that, a bomb, a man-made bomb, specifically a nuclear bomb. And because there's no build, I mean, it's just bang, suddenly there, the big scratch, so to speak. And once I noted that in my article, the following month, they stopped capping the data. So we caught them, we made them, and the jig is up. And the interesting thing is, who did it? Black hats or white hats? Well, here's the, here's the corker. The data capping started in the last three months of the Trump administration. It was white hats who were doing the capping. They were covering up the fact that they were nuking the dumps. And I blew the cover on their story because the jig was up and they had to move off target because I made them. So that tells me clearly, because I go back and I mean, there's a long pattern of this going on for a long, long time. And um, there's, if we ever got the real data, it would be most interesting because you could actually see everywhere in the world where these dumbs were. All they got to do is just find the, the location, the coordinates, GPS coordinates for the uh, earthquake. And it is happening. We have a major battle and we have to do it. But for people, the thing that we have to do now is we are going to have to help ourselves instead of depending on the white hat messaging, which is their big fear. Remember, if we go into a kinetic civil war for any reason. We lose, the nation loses, the world loses, everything. It's all set up to drive us into kinetic civil war. And I tell you something, I've driven across the country when I went from uh, California to Maine. Sure. And I saw a lot of places. This was in uh, 2020. Yeah. And... At that time, it was uh, August, and I'll never forget, there were a lot of places I could see people that you could just sense it. They were ready to get their rifles and hit the street. They mm. were mad, all right? Do you think we'll and ever see a civil war, though, Marshall, in our lifetime here? We could have a civil war, but it's not happening. And this has been my greatest concern. I will have to say the White Hats were very successful in that they averted this by getting us to take uh, a much better way approach to it, something that is really stands with Mahatma Gandhi and other leaders who have shown a peaceful path of re resolution. And what we're doing is we are not participating. See, the thing is, the globalists, the elites, they're psychopaths. Their lives are defined by chaos, not by harmony. They don't understand harmony, couldn't begin to feel it. They understand chaos, which means they can only conquer, destroy, and control. That's all they can do. Conquer, destroy, control. They don't understand how to make things and to do things that are good. They don't know how to create the foods and do all the things and invent meta. All they know how to do is come in as predators and parasites and destroy everything. And right now, 
they're getting a free hand to do it. People can see it. But I love the way I am seeing things turn. And the one event that has been most significant for me was not Bud Light, although I was really happy to see Bud Light. And I will tell you, the first company to go woke broke to feel that pain was actually Gillette. Remember, you know, if you like to barbecue oh, yeah. on a word, you're a testosterone-driven monster. Yeah, the toxic masculinity angle. Oh, uh, yeah. That was great. You know. That was fun. And I, I don't know about you, but I went to Harry's after that, and I've been a Harry's shaver guy, and actually it's the best razor I've ever used. And I'm, and I don't have an angle. They're not, I'm not getting money on that. I just like the razor. Sure. But I go in the store and I look and see what happened to Gillette. And I mean, it's like what happened to Gillette is what I'm seeing with Bud Light. Bud Light. You know, they have to put out special displays with special pricing and no one picks it up. Nobody wants it. Now, with the razor blades and the beer and the guys doing it, it was to the credit of the guys, but that wasn't the power force. It was Target. Ooh. Target. The women. The moms. All right. And all of a sudden, I saw the moms jumping on the bandwagon with the guys. Now, this to me is a game changer. Because when, and I look, you look at the women that we have who are on the conservatives and on the liberal side. And I will tell you, this is my own personal opinion, but on the right, I see magnificent women. I see the Carrie Lakes and all of the others, and they're just magnificent. They're fighters, they're gutsy, they are effective. And on the left, they all got this battered wife syndrome thing going, you know? I can't figure that out. But uh, they're not inspiring. Oh no. If you're hearing this now, that means we have already skipped over to Patreon. If you want the rest of this interview, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon and subscribe and join us. We'd love to see you out there. Remember, you can subscribe for as low as a dollar, up to five, or maybe even more if you are a baller. Regardless, we hope to see you there.